Right, so we're still here at the 99 cent store only. 99 only. 99 cents only store. But it has. I just bought something for a dollar twenty nine. So that's not really 99 cents, is it? Pop advertising. You're going to need to change the name of your pole. We need to put like post-it things I need to do. But I know I can just make one. Oh, I'm huge. Mm -hmm. 
half-turn kitchen. Brownstone. It's the farm. Very cool. I'm going to get. Oh. I used to wear these as bendies as our adult studs. Thank you. 
Porter from the 80s. Oh, cool. Five bucks, but definitely worth it. Six markers. Permanent colors, nice. Board gates. Oh my god, and there's gold, silver. Metallic markers. to get two of these. I'm going to them out real These are neat for keeping the fun off. And there's an arid stona. Flags, nice. Okay, flag, stars and stripes. This is what I came for. I bet they're made in China. Made in China, there you go. <laughs> Make a TikTok video. Sorry. Right. I love your hat. Thank you. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I found it in aisle four. <laughs> you I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, definitely buy this one. <laughs> That's a good find. Yeah, right? Why? No, not no toys. What did I say? Ah, 
Ellie, you want this one or you want the other one you have? Squeeze Squeezy, squeezy. Yeah, we bought How are you guys doing? Oh, finding Fourth of July stuff like always. Nice. It's nice. been out like for two months, oh, but here we are. <laughs> we have some of those, Ellie. Ellie, you want this one? Or you like the other one? Okay. Oh, I love this black one. We leave it there. Come on. I told you we're not here for toys. Tomorrow we should make toys. Come on. Tomorrow we should make toys. This is a baseball hat. One ninety-nine star construct trucker hat. <laughs> Food aisles yet. Okay. So that's that. So, so cute decorative pillow with a watermelon on it. <laughs> oh, neat. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let's flamingo. <laughs>
It'd be cute to put it in my um, planter. It's 99 cents. That'd be nice. Oh my god, that's fucking adorable. 3.99. Holy shit, flamingo. Metal pot. Flamingo welcome sign. <laughs> I, I love flamingos, so I might maybe I'll just start collecting them yeah. <laughs> since they have so many of them. Neat. Wow, Buddha head for 149. That's awesome. Beautiful. It's like Christmas every time. <laughs>
Salt, lime, onion, garlic, chili powder, cilantro. Mm. That sounds great, actually. Mm. Carne asada seasoning. That sounds nifty. Four dollars. Cool. Here we go. Big containers of chicken and beef bouillon. Starter. Cubes uh, uh, don't last long enough. Um, cinnamon, sugar. Curry powder, turmeric. I have all these. I do. Oh, I always need um, garlic, garlic salt or garlic onions. Black seed, I wonder if that would grow. Chia seeds. 
whole cumin. Mm. Looks like a glower from that. Tomillo. Thyme. Grunch. Mm. Oh, garlic powder. They don't have the Himalayan sea salt anymore. Interesting. Garlic salt, $2.99. That's way okay. That's cool. Soup mix. Okay, I have rice. Pizza. Although we do have sundried um, tomato alfredo. Strawberry brownie mix. Dodgy. Is the imitation vanilla? Oh, yeah, it's imitation of course. So expensive to make. Uh, little honey thing. What? That's still. Why are those honeys darker? All natural, raw. Okay, and this uh, baking flour. Gonna make my own tortillas and everything. Brown rice flour. Oh, this has coconut milk, though. 
Duckup. And olives. Oh my god. We basically have most of my recipe. Olives are 149 now. They used to be $1. Butter night. Oh, this is two bucks, but oh well. Probably almost out of peanut butter, but usually like six cents or larger size can of uh, clam powder.
Kvantara. milk. You know, this stuff, this stuff is kind of handy when I run out of milk. It's super messy, though. No, I want corn, coconut fat. Not. Thai foods. Corn fat. Okay, coconut.
love that stuff. Guacamole sauce is very special. I, I never saw it until I came back from living abroad for many years. This uh, green avocado. Sauce, use a lot of that. Teriyaki sauce, oyster flavored sauce, but this bigger one. Oyster flavored sauce. Okay, it's amazing to me that they have this stuff in the supermarket. Barbecue sauce, I don't know. Barbecue sauce is Okay, that's the ranch dip. Oh, Mm -hmm. 
milk in the box. Because uh, in summer, milk goes bad, super fast. Right. Where I live? Sparkling cider, Tina. on my friend's birthday. It's going to be like two, three hundred, two hundred bucks. I got prune juice. Wow, I'm going to do one. This big premium cookie. Cute box. Mango, mango. Holy shit, that sounds delicious. Passion fruit, citrus, oh my god, I've been jonesing for passion fruit. Okay. make like a guava and green tea and, and <clears throat> put it in there. I'll use those containers, the nice big containers. Okay, we got rolled oats. Flaxseed meal. Mm. Should make a should try to make tortillas out of that. Flaxseed is supposed to be really good for you. It's amazing. I've actually talked to the owner. Okay, here we go. Again, um, there's the sea salt, sunflower seed, and other weird snacks. Mm. Walnuts for my brownies. And it all, um, and, uh, sea salt, so, a bunch of those, and still need to snack on something. Hit the spot. Okay. Next. Hickory. Hickory. Here comes the tree. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to go Oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to go and Oh, these so great snack for you. Oh my god, pistachio is three four. Sweet chili, just regular lightly salted pistachios. Oh my god, Ben maybe will be so jealous. Can you get them one? He's getting me. They used to. It's not the top, we can't, oh my god. Don't get the sausage. Pops, people are, oh, shit's, people are dying from having to inhale the shit while it's, um, while they're making it. But, um, I need popcorn. <laughs> okay, oh, this is awesome. Cranberry yogurt bun. Hmm. So I'm salivating, just thinking about it. 
it's got like raisins. It's like a pheromone. Holy shit. Several days holding for a while. And um, they're very sweet, so. Um, they go wild with uh, like more than one sister, you know? I try to get my snacks, not too bad for you. Raw almonds. Like good stuff too. Okay. And a mommy. Hmm. Almond clusters. No chocolates. Oh, chili lemon botana. Botana con chile limon. Those are like mm. spicy peanuts. Mescal free corn. Excuse me. I'm sold. Botana. That's the name for. Oh, mountain trail name. Mm. Wicked. Okay. That's great. I'm addicted to popcorn. Too addicted. Really like the way they make it. Cinnamon apple crisp. Okay, I already have. <clears throat> and smooth ranch dip. The glaze, two for five ninety nine. Okay, this is a ninety nine cent store. One ninety nine. Where the hell is one dollar? Okay, think it's a little more. Okay, hold those. This last has like a blending of all cu different cultures, like Chinese, Spanish, or Mexican. Chili lime, hard chicharrones, deep fried pig skin. Okay. Now, I'll be lucky if I can get out of here without some chocolates. Chocolate with almonds. Oh my god. This is one of my weaknesses. Eminence. Hmm. Oh, a mix of Eminence. Oh my god. Okay, I better get out of here now. Cards. 
working with pepper. Probably tell them I don't go shopping very often. <laughs> Last one of these or something? Or does anyone saw one one yeah,
what's the name of the owner? This place is great. Oh, this is my favorite place on the side of town. <laughs> what's, what's the name? I heard he's Indian, right? Or like uh, uh, Southeast Indian. Uh, our manager? Or? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. The owner. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I called once um, to make a suggestion or something, and and um, about the uh, about the web, uh, not the website, but the like app, you know, and um, and I, I got to talk to him over the so yeah, and I heard heard he's Indian, which kind of would make sense that um, you know because like you have Mexican food here. Yeah, and you have um, um, Chinese food and <laughs> and uh, coconut milk, which is used in Thai food. Oh, what what's the reason for um, closing down the stuff in the back? The so why don't you why don't you sell off the other all the stuff quick? Uh, <laughs> Discount it. Uh, we did, but for safety reasons. Uh huh. We don't want to sell it. Right. This is Michael Cohen's Mea Culpa podcast. Reflective of a pro-democracy or progressive side that does, we try to elevate different types of individuals um, who uh, may not seem like they're Democrats or where their voice can't always kind of be heard and promote their content that's out there. And so, you know, you find someone like a guy out in Texas named Texas Paul who speaks truth to power and he looks like he'd be a Republican, but you hear Texas Paul talking about, you know, all of, all of these issues. Um, we got students out in UCLA and, and in other colleges who are out there talking about these issues. So it's important that we elevate these, uh, you know, these, these leaders. And that's something that, that we are focused on doing. Um, but as Brett mentioned earlier, the right wing is spending not millions, but hundreds of millions of dollars, two billions, every year trying to recruit youth and trying to bring them in with cult-like tactics to change their hearts and minds because the Republicans realize that they're not actual natural allies. So they try to instill fear and divide the youth right now. And those efforts are insidious and going on every single day. And I would encourage all listeners that have the ability to support shows like Mea Culpa, to support media efforts like those we're doing at Midas Touch. Like we need, you know, or start your own. Um, we need you in the fight because I got um, one. right now it's an asymmetrical fight with groups like ours with very little funding going against you know, hundred million dollar organizations. Yeah, but ben, and ben, let competing. me just say this because this was something that I learned while involved with Donald at um, the campaign level, not being part of the campaign, but at the campaign level. One of the things that we were successful in doing is creating a platform big enough that the money didn't really matter. 
because with social media today, your videos, and I understand it costs money to make those videos, but in all fairness, it doesn't really cost you anything to put it out. That's, and I'm not talking about, again, the production of it. I'm talking about the distribution of it. It's not that you're going to be putting it on MSNBC. Totally. Yes. And what my hope is with Mayor Culpa, with Midas Touch, with Lincoln Project, etc., right? What my hope, democracy now, what my hope is, is that we could create a synergy amongst ourselves, create a movement. And it's something I talk about on Mayor Culpa all the time. I don't want Mea Culpa to be just a podcast. I want it to be a movement that when we turn around and say, we're going to Washington, D.C. Why? Because, well, we have these three new judges, for example. Truth be told, two of them shouldn't even be on the, on the Supreme Court at all that are now going to change significant law, Roe v. Wade, of year, 50 year, you know, 50-year law that's been out there changing women's beliefs in their reproductive rights and so on and, and on and on and on. We need to do something. We need to make some changes. And if we're a big enough voting block, if we command enough people in order to change the minds of these politicians who care about only one thing, you know, they say, you know what the greatest and the worst day is for a politician, right? It's the day before he wins and then the day after. Because the first, the day before is when he knows exactly how much money he's raised, and the day after starts all over again. And that's all that they care about. It's the money, the power, the the influence that they have, and that's not that's not a way that our country is going to advance. It's not the way we're going to grow. It's not the way we're going to remain as a democracy. And unfortunately, too many young people do not understand just how serious the loss of democracy can and will be if in fact we don't put an end to these lunatics so you know um let me just get some final thoughts from each of you uh as of course as i always tell you the hour goes by quickly whether on my podcast or on yours well this is such an honor to you know be working with you towards that effort michael because i think yes fred i agree with you it is an honor Well, we share we, we share the same mindset there and that it's important that we have an activated base of people and a strong pro-democracy media. And you're right. At the end of the day, we don't need the billionaires out there. We, we don't. Would they be helpful? Yes, of course they would be helpful. But that's why, like with Midas Touch in the beginning, we didn't wait around for something to happen. We didn't wait around for anyone to give us money. We didn't test group everything we did for three weeks before we put something out we just said we are going to make things the thing the way that we want to make it we are going to put it out the way that we want to make it and in fact uh, one of our concepts in the very beginning of it all was we were watching tv during the pandemic and we were like everybody is recording their shows via zoom they're not in big fancy studios they're not spending billions of dollars to make this happen in fact right now the level field is as level as the playing field is as level as it's ever been so let's exploit that and take advantage of that because we can compete with the biggest of the bigs with the biggest the deepest pockets we could do that and so what i want to do also is i hope your words ring true to the people listening to this podcast as they as they did with us early on those that sort of concept in that if you have a skill if you could do anything out there just go do it you know don't make excuses for why this shit's not getting done 
You know, start so reach out to well, reach out to me, reach yeah. out to the mind. Reach out touch. to us, tweet at us. Reach out. We're happy to help to get the things moving. And guys, again, let me let me thank you for joining me as you know, as always. And we have a lot to do and time is running out. You know, we don't we only have a couple of months before November and November's gonna be a real um, it's gonna be a real referendum on uh, you know on Trump and, you know, Trumpism. We got to make it a choice, Michael. We got to make it a choice between democracy and fascism. Um, and, and not a referendum on Biden, by the way. It's got to be a choice between here's what you get. You get these people who are fighting for you, who look at the House, who are at least trying to pass bills to lower the price of, infl- to, uh, lower the price of insulin, to get at high gas prices. They are trying to codify Roe v. Wade. And then you have a party who's blocking all that shit and who literally wants to punish businesses yeah. for speaking out. Who wants to punish you for expressing your freedom. And we didn't make that choice clear to the American people as we have and Mike, before before we go, I just want to say this was incredible because I learned that Jordy's goal in life is to have five children. Number one. <laughs> well, good. As long as as long as I brought the family back together. I've, I've never I've never learned that about Jordy. <laughs> never, heard, never heard that before. Um, and then number two, I would tell number two everyone listening to the Maya Culpa podcast, go check out the Midas Touch podcast with me and my brothers. Where if you like the content here, check it out. It's the Midas Touch podcast. That's M-E-I-D-A-S. Agreed. Ben, Brett, Jordy, thank you guys so much, and I will be seeing all three of you very soon. Uh, We love you, Michael. Grateful for you, Michael. Be good, pal. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. Not enough has been said about last weekend's incredible March for Our Lives, the brainchild of gun safety activist and Parkland survivor David Hogg. Literally thousands of angry and frustrated Americans join rallies and marches all across the United States to advocate for gun reform in the wake of the back-to-back mass shootings in Uvalde, Texas and Buffalo, New York. And it wasn't just the younger generations marching, it was everybody. But as one Gen Z protester said at the Los Angeles rally, and I quote, we have grown up in a world where we all jump when the balloon pops. It's a world where we have to scan every single exit and the movements of our classmates at school. We don't live like this because we like it. We live like this because every single day, the people in power make the conscious decision to put the NRA's money over our lives. Well, this week, perhaps, there's been some movement on the issue that David Hogg and his fellow protesters can take partial credit for and then be proud of, because without their voices, Republicans might not have moved to come to the table for the very first time in decades to create a bipartisan package of safe gun laws. I mean, even Mitch McConnell came out of his shell to voice his support for the bill. And while the ink hasn't dried on the document and the details are still being hammered out, I hope to God kids can start breathing a little easier where the biggest danger in school are mean girls and attitude and dumb fucking jocks. Not madmen with guns. Now things feel like they're finally happening on the hill. It took a whole lot of people dying and marching and pleading for some fucking sanity. And now maybe some real progress will be made. I'm not saying we should forget to hold Republicans responsible for all that's gone wrong before the deal and all that's left to be done. Democratic candidates simply can't stop talking about guns and gun violence through the entirety of this next election cycle. Because a little doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. 
And it looks like even in this polarized moment, most Americans agree on these things. 89% of us support universal background checks on all gun sales. That's nine in 10 people. 79% want to see the age limit to buy a gun raised to 21. And 66% want to ban assault style weapons outright. On these things, we agree more than we disagree. And I'll take it because Americans need a win about now. David Hogg and Senator Chris Murphy, an activist both young and old, who fought like hell for our safety, appealed to our better angels, and believed in a hopeless cause, needed a win. And today we got it. And thanks for listening. Mayor Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.
This episode is brought to you by Vonage. Your customers matter to you, and Vonage can help you connect with them seamlessly. Our multi-platform communication APIs give developers the tools to make it easy for customers to reach you from your app or website. Stand out from your competitors with Tap to Call. Make it personal with video and enhance security. Welcome back. Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Let's just start with the obvious. Donald J. Trump lost the 2020 election to Joe Biden, and like a child, like a goddamn baby, he couldn't handle losing. And so rather than concede, he blew the world up. Given my experience working for Mr. Trump, I fear that if he loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power. And this is why I agreed to appear before you today. I warned you in 2019, and I'll tell you again now, Donald Trump is a clear and present danger to our democracy. He can't handle the truth. And if you watched the January 6th hearings and thought, nothing to see here, you can't handle the truth either. If for whatever reason you think gas prices and baby formula are the real issues, I'm sorry if you're hurting, but wake the fuck up. Our entire way of life, the American dream, is on the line here, folks. And either you take a stand against Trump, Trumpism, and all the big liars, or you're contributing to our downfall. And here are the facts. Most Republicans in the Senate voted against money for baby formula and voted against the oil and gas price gouging bill. Those bills only passed the House because Democrats held the majority. And don't forget that when you go to vote, these corporations are making record profits, the highest that they have been in over seven years, even as Americans are struggling. They plan to use these profits to buy back over $35 billion in stock rather than investing in production to increase supply, transitioning to green energy, or bringing down the price at the pump. But confronting the truth of perhaps the single worst event in our history isn't a matter of politics, whether it's right or left. It's a matter of right and wrong. And what happened on January 6th of 2021 was just fucking wrong. Period. End of statement. So let's talk about the hearings. Donald Trump had his days in court to challenge the results. He was within his rights to seek those judgment. In the United States, law-abiding citizens have those tools for pursuing justice. He lost in the courts, just as he did at the ballot box. And in this country, that's the end of the line. But for Donald Trump, that was only the beginning of what became a sprawling, multi-step conspiracy aimed at overturning the presidential election. Not too flashy, Chairman Benny Thompson set a tone for the first of the primetime hearings that was sincere, but not slick. His nervousness early on only added to the gravity of the event. Handing the proceedings over to Liz Cheney, the flatness of her Wyoming accent underscored the fact that she's not an actress, but a hard-bitten lawyer who takes her role as the committee's lone Republican woman seriously. 
driving home values that Republicans before Trump would have applauded rule of law, oath to the Constitution, bravery. This is what she represented without much work. It's just who she is. Can't say I agree with her politics, but I'd welcome her into my lifeboat. At 6.01 p.m. on January 6th, after he spent hours watching a violent mob besiege, attack, and invade our capital, Donald Trump tweeted, but he did not condemn the attack. Instead, he justified it. These are the things and events that happen, he said, when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots who've been badly and unfairly treated for so long. What Cheney made clear is that Trump didn't use any of the powers of the presidency to stop the insurrection. Quite the opposite. He didn't call anyone to help shut it down. Not the National Guard or his generals. Not even more police reinforcements. No, he just sat by and watched the Capitol attack on television like it was some fucking reality show. And let Mike Pence try to pick up the pieces as he ran for his life. In fact, General Milley told House investigators that it was Pence who gave the order to finally send in the National Guard troops. The White House, Mark Meadows, instructed him to say that Trump made the call. And one thing that was made clear over and over and over again, Trump knew that he had lost. He was told by his data people. He was told by his hand-picked attorney general. And most damning, his own daughter Ivanka knew that the only fraud was her father. Bill Barr, once Trump's take-no-prisoners pitbull, kicked off the tape cameo appearances with a bang. I had three discussions with the president that I can recall. One was on November 23rd, one was on December 1st, and one was on December 14th. And I've been through sort of the give and take of those discussions. And in that context, I made it clear I did not agree with the idea of saying the election was stolen and putting out this stuff, which I told the president was bullshit. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to be a part of it. And that's one of the reasons that went into me deciding to leave when I did. I observed, uh, I think it was on December 1st, that, you know, how can we, you can't live in a world where, where the incumbent administration stays in power based on its view, unsupported by specific evidence, that the election, that there was fraud in the election. There was something Shakespearean about watching clips of Ivanka and Jared's taped interviews. After all, these had been Trump's most trusted advisors, family in the mob sense, that went against the Don. Ivanka Trump, her dark eyes trained on the camera, did not try to wiggle out of the truth. She said without saying that her father was a fucking liar when she admitted that she respected and believed Bill Barr. It was a stark and defining moment that probably marks the end of her being daddy's little girl. If Trump feels no other consequence for his actions during the last days of his failed presidency, the desertion of his beloved daughter most definitely stings. Remember, these are people that I have known and to some degree still care about. And none of this thrills me. I just find it profoundly sad. Jared showed up as the arrogant fucking asshole that he is, calling the legitimate concern of White House counsel Patrick Baloney, whining, barely hiding the contempt in his voice, so over the Trump presidency that sitting for the committee was clearly just an annoyance to him. Here again was an incredible betrayal to Trump. 
His fucking wonder boy, the idiot he put in charge of just about everything, has turned against him too, but without any sort of malice, just pure, unadulterated boredom. The chilling montage of the sheer violence that defined January 6th left those in the gallery who had lived through it in tears. Again, the slight delays between testimony and video footage were not slick, and whether planned or not, made the hearings feel more like a PowerPoint presentation than a big Hollywood production. The committee made the right choice when they hired veteran news producer James Goldston as a consultant. I was called a lot of things on January 6, 2021, and the days thereafter. I was called Nancy Pelosi's dog, called incompetent, called a hero and a villain. I was called a traitor to my country, my oath, and my constitution. In actuality, I was none of those things. I was an American, standing face to face with other Americans, asking myself how many times, many, many times, how we had gotten here. If there was anybody who might get through to insurrection non-believers, it was Officer Caroline Edwards, the first member of the Capitol Police Force to be seriously injured that day. In her testimony, she describes how she was pushed down by the advancing mob, hit the cement with her head and passed out. Kicked aside by the rioters, she still managed to get back up to aid her fellow officers who had also been beaten, tear gassed and maced. This young woman, who in many ways is the epitome of grace under fire, showed a surprising amount of grit. Never giving in to the obvious overwhelm that she was feeling, she told her harrowing story with no tears, no drama, just a firm resolve to get the truth out. Sitting behind her as sort of a wall of support was the officer who trained her and often refers to her as his little sister, Officer Harry Dunn, who you might recall from hearings the committee undertook earlier this year that featured the terrifying accounts of officers who were there on the scene, officers that Republicans have constantly mocked and disregarded. Don't ever tell me that you back the blue again if you sat through their testimony without relating to the pain and anguish they felt, not just because their fellow Americans beat the shit out of them on January 6th, but because they've never stopped. She did a fantastic job, and um, I couldn't be proud. I was just so proud of her bravery. Uh, I called her a shero in a tweet that I wrote. Um, and I'm just so proud of her. It's like a big brother kind of thing, and uh, I couldn't be proud of her. The fraternity that the Capitol Police have shown to one another and to the families of the officers who have fallen as a result of January 6th is extraordinary. They have each other's backs in a way that reminds us that their oath to serve and protect also applies to their brothers and sisters on the 4th. What this hearing has done is give us an honest portrayal of America on its worst day. But the fact that we're even having hearings says that the violence against our democracy won't be met with silence or indifference. That patriots, even at their own political peril, will speak up. And make no mistake, the criminal intent of Trump's actions on and before the 6th were made clear for all who are willing to see. This wasn't just a one-off or some accidental eruption of an insane MAGA posse. No, 
This was a well-organized and financed attempt to steal an election and overthrow the government. It was a coup. In footage obtained by the committee, we learned that on the night of January 5th, Enrique Tarrio and Stuart Rhodes met in a parking garage in Washington, D.C. There's mutual respect there. I think we're, we're fighting the same fight, and I think that's what's important. The only accident was that English documentarian Nick Husted just happened to be there when his subjects, the Proud Boys, met up with their brothers, the Oath Keepers, in a parking garage the night before the insurrection to finalize their strategy for storming the Capitol. And then go out for tacos. The sheer banality of what they had for dinner is the sort of detail that made it all very real and all of the more horrifying. Husted, who claimed he was there under subpoena, offered new information, saying that between 250 and 300 Proud Boys skipped the speeches on the ellipse so they could mince around the peace memorial, casing the joint before Trump urged the mob to march on the Capitol. These are not and never were right-wing heroes. These men are jackbooted fascists who have somehow infiltrated the heart of the Republican Party. So look no further than Miami-Dade, where they've stolen seats from real conservatives and are now calling the shots for the county. Meanwhile, our friends at Fox News didn't even bother to tell their audience that over a thousand violent rioters breached the Capitol, some in militaristic lines that they used like battering rams to gain entry and never answered the question. Why would so many Republican senators run to Donald for pardons if they didn't believe that what they had done on the 6th was sedition or at the very least a crime? As you will see... Representative Perry contacted the White House in the weeks after January 6th to seek a presidential pardon. Multiple other Republican congressmen also sought presidential pardons for their roles in attempting to overturn the 2020 election. They knew then and they know now they were the only people trying to steal an election. And yet, Tucker fucking Carlson, the prick, has the audacity to say this, and I quote, And Laura Ingram, the whole line lot of them on Fox, living in la-la land, still haven't grasped the reality of this grave situation, and are still spreading the big lie as if it were the truth, as if their professional lives depends on it, because it does. When America finally wakes the fuck up from our national nightmare, they will be held accountable too. And now for the main event. We welcome for the first time on Maya Culpa, progressive commentator Brian Tyler Cohen, the host and creator of the popular podcast, No Lie, which he covers breaking political stories and sits down with major players in the world of politics, promising to bring you the news straight with no disinformation and no lies. His guests have included Vice President Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and White House Chief of Staff Ron Klein. Cohen is amongst the most watched commentators in the country and can be found on all major platforms, including YouTube, where he has a million and a half followers, Instagram, and Twitter. Brian, once an actor and a writer, left it behind to doggedly criticize Fox News, the Trump administration, and anyone on any side of the political spectrum spreading lies. Interested? So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Brian, 
Our shows have a similar goal. Yours, of course, being called No Lie with Brian Cohen. I think we aim to protect democracy and advance the political education of our listeners. Now, one thing I've been hearing lately, and I wonder if you've heard the same, people are really burnt out on Trump and that they don't want the upcoming elections to be all about him. And further critics then say, you know, folks like you and I, we should be more positive about the Democrats. We should talk more about what we're about and bitch less about the failures of the party. What's your opinion on this? I think we have to walk and chew gum at the same time, right? There, And it's not just Trump. I mean, of course, Trump poses a singular threat to democracy, a unique threat to democracy, unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I think, obviously, that has to be top of mind. But Trumpism is living beyond Trump. I mean, look at... The, the extremism of the Republican Party today, we have their extreme on abortion rights or women's reproductive rights, they're extreme on guns, they're extreme on voting rights, they're extreme on, on any way you cut it. This is a party that's running toward the cliff way off the far right. So I think that's something that we should absolutely focus on. At the same time, I think it's incumbent upon at least what I do, you know, as part of progressive media is to, you know, shine a spotlight on what Democrats are doing. And Democrats are moving to fix a lot of these issues. You know, Democrats have moved from every issue from price gouging at the pumps to introduce legislation to stop price gouging, uh, you know, to, to cut costs for Americans, you know, at a time of uh, high inflation, global high inflation. At least Democrats are moving to cut clo- cut costs as they relate to childcare and allowing the government to negotiate lower drug prices. Everything across the board, whatever they can do to make it easier for Americans to afford things, they are trying to do it. All the way to you know, like I said, voting rights, gun bills, trying to raise the age to 21, trying to make sure that. Uh, 18-year-olds can't get their hands on AR-15s, trying to make sure that we have universal background checks, trying to make sure that we have red flag laws, all the way to codifying protections for women's abortion rights. I mean, whatever it is, Democrats are moving to fix a lot of the issues that we're contending with from Republicans. So yeah, we have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. Look, you touched on so many topics, and we're going to touch on so many of the same topics during the course of this hour-long program, right? So let me then ask you this, because one of your recent shows, you discussed what might have happened if Trump had somehow pardoned himself. Where do you think that we'd be today if that happened? And do you think anyone is paying attention to Dinesh D'Souza's um, movie that recently came out about the stolen election? Um, I think, what's it called, like 2,000 years or something stupid like yeah. that? Yeah. And then how effective do you think that the January 6th hearings will ultimately, you know, how, how do you think that they're going to ultimately be? Are people's minds already made up? Or do you think that maybe there's a percentage of people in this country that are willing to listen to the facts and use those facts? Um, are, I mean, are any of us expecting any real surprises from this? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that there is all we always have to hope that there's a small sliver of people who aren't just completely overcome with politicization, right? So there's always going to be this small sliver of people who are willing to look at the facts, who are these independents, who are swing voters from Obama to Trump, Trump to Biden. I mean, those are the people that we have to not only uh, target with these hearings, but also people who might be, you know, who might think that, okay, I did come out for Biden in 2020. I don't know if it's worth it to come out and vote in 2022 or 2024. But I think by showing them the unique threat that's being posed by Trump and Trumpism uh, that presented itself on 
January 6th, and that could very well present itself again if we have a Republican Congress that refuses to certify any election results for a Democrat in 2024. I think maybe this will give people the kick in the ass to show them the threat that we're facing right now. Um, so that's that's what I'm hoping with, with these January 6th hearings. Look, we have nothing to lose by airing these, these hearings on prime time and showing just a few more people, reaching just a few more people, especially in a country where we're winning elections by tens of thousands of votes in just a few states, and that's, that's determining who the president is. So I think we have nothing to lose by airing these hearings and letting, show that, and letting uh, just a few more people um, be privy to the facts. Um, and with that said, I mean, we've seen a lot of this drip, drip, drip from the January 6th committee as it is. And there is always new information. I spoke with Glenn Kirshner a few days ago uh, on this past week's great podcast. Great guy. I mean, honestly, just a truly great yeah. guy. Yeah, and he is, he's a wealth of knowledge. But he even said himself, there is, we know probably 20% of what the January 6th committee shows uh, knows. So, you know, if, if even the drip, drip that we're getting from the January 6th committee over the last few months has been, you know, has kind of rocked Washington. Just imagine what the other 80% is, what, what they have in store. So, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to these hearings. Um, to answer your second question, do people care about Dinesh D'Souza's 2,000 Mules, where the film purports to prove election fraud and yet doesn't show a modicum of evidence for election fraud? No, I don't think that people care. I don't think that that uh, made any big waves. I think that's just uh, yet another grift by someone who's, uh, whose entire career is predicated on, on grifting people. So, uh, and, and remind me of what your first question was, Michael. So let me touch before I go back to the first question, which was where do you think we'd be uh, today if Donald pardoned Trump himself, had yeah. pardoned himself, right? But I want to talk about Dinesh D'Souza for a second, because I find the whole thing to be uh, I don't even know what the right word is. It's fucked up, right? I mean, you know, so he puts out this movie, 2,000 Mules, and this allegedly, according to reports, that it's become the cornerstone of the Trumpian election denier movement. Now, the problem with that is we already know how the, you know, how the end of the movie is supposed to end. It reminds me of like the movie Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, you would have liked to see Adolf Hitler get killed and you'd like to see the Jew bear walk down into right and beat the shit out of that Nazi with a baseball bat and so on. It's just not the way that the story ends. Right? We could all fantasize over it as these, you know, Trumpian election deniers do. But what bothers me the most here is that this movie was screened at Mar-a-Lardo, all right? It's not Mar-a-Lago anymore, folks. It's Mar-a-Lardo, all right? Because the guy who's inhabiting that house is just a fucking fat ass. So he hosts the screening of, of this show at Mar-a-Lardo, and he praises it. This is just typical Donald Trump. As the great... Let me do his voice. Dinesh, by far, it's the greatest and most impactful documentary of our time. Well, look, let me say this. Quite frankly, it's not true. And it's irritating to me that Dinesh D'Souza, and you're right, he's nothing but a Donald Trump wannabe grifter, doesn't seem to understand, because I believe he's of Indian descent, right, from Mumbai. Donald Trump looks at him with racist eyes. Other than the fact that he's promoting the big lie, Trump would never allow him at Mar-a-Lago, certainly not 
to host a screening if it didn't have to do with Donald. He certainly wouldn't be breaking bread with him. That's just not who Donald Trump is, unless, of course, he was giving Donald money, right, to build, you know, some shitty project in India. Then he would sit down with them. But short of that, Donald Trump, as I say all the time, is a racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite. He looks at Dinesh D'Souza with those type of eyes. And yet, this is who Dinesh D'Souza wants to destroy his reputation, his family's honor for? What? You know, I think think that these people in that right-wing ecosystem just see an opportunity to fail up and they see that they're that the trumpier that they can be the more that you know the more attention he'll give them and they can just ride his coattails and there is an audience for that as we've seen but i think that this movie kind of kind of is the perfect encapsulation of trumpism and and this whole and all of the big lie because it actually proves nothing it's an entire it's an entire um, production put toward, you know, predicated on something that isn't true, that doesn't even claim to be true, and that's actually disproven multiple times. I also interviewed Washington Post right. uh, Philip Bump, who's who's done a ton of uh, a coverage of of this documentary, and he's questioned him and called him out, and even Dinesh D'Souza has acknowledged that there is no evidence uh, to back up any of the claims he's making. But that that is the big lie. I mean, look what we've seen. At the big lie the, that they claim the election was stolen, they went in front of 60 judges, including a number of whom Trump himself appointed, plus the three Supreme Court justices who wouldn't touch this thing. He's gone in front of, you know, this claim has gone in front of uh, secretaries of state and, uh, you know, a, a attorneys general, and no, nobody wants such a thing. They've never been able to claim fraud in any of the uh, attempts that they've done, to, that they've uh, pushed forward for this thing. So. So, yeah, I mean, like, if you have a film that also purports to prove the big lie, that also fails to do so, I mean, that that's kind of par for the course. It's not about the evidence of the big lie, because there is none. It's just about furthering the narrative and feeding the flames. People aren't interested. This is, this is a theory, you know, a conclusion in, uh, what's the, 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 the saying? It's a... Uh, you know, it's it's a conclusion in search of I, I can't remember what it is, but in any case, they've already made up their minds about what the big lie is. Anything that they can throw at it to just further this idea that that it's real, you know, regardless of whether the, that evidence bears out, it's just about feeding this narrative. Brian, you know how you know that this movie is bullshit from beginning to end when you have Fox News media and you have Newsmax denouncing it and not promoting it. In essence, they blocked coverage of it as well, to which Dinesh D'Souza decides that he's now gonna go somewhat on the offensive, and who's he gonna go, look, I don't care. You know, it's against Tucker Carlson, another guy I don't give two shits for. But I love it when he turns around Dinesh D'Souza and said, I'm sorry to say Tucker Carlson and his team specifically instructed Catherine Engelbrecht of True, of True the Vote, not to mention the movie, right? Referring to some guests that were booked on some primetime shows, not to talk about this movie. That's how you have to know, because as you well know, and so do my listeners, 90% of the shit that comes out of Tucker Carlson's mouth, which is of course all opinion, is just factually inaccurate. And if that guy won't touch this, if that guy doesn't touch this film, I think that that speaks volumes. 
Oh, yeah. Big, big time volumes. You know, so let's just then go back to the very first part of the question, because it looks like we went backwards uh, and now we'll, we'll end it that way. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger show. So I've heard that average podcast listener has six shows in rotation. So you're most likely not just listening to Maya Culpa. And I'm okay with that. One that I listen to and that you should definitely add to your list is the Jordan Harbinger show a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. So don't just ignore my suggestion to listen to this one, like you probably do with your other friends who tell you to listen to podcasts, because Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. The episode with Bill Brower, hunted by Putin, and the Kevin Barrows episode, Think Like an FBI Interrogator, will blow your mind. Plus, The Jordan Harbinger Show is a top-shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. I really think there just isn't a better podcast to listen to casually or seriously to expand your worldview. He's also got a strangely relatable weekly segment called Feedback Friday, where Jordan covers advice on everything from escaping a cult or psycho family situations to relationships and networking to just asking for a raise. And Jordan has so many amazing episodes. So go ahead and head over to jordanharbinger.com forward slash start and you'll find the perfect episode to start with. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. So search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your point in regard to, or your position on what if Donald Trump had actually pardoned himself. And I want to preface your response by saying we don't know that he doesn't have a pop correct all right um he may be sitting with it in his brioni breasted oversized jacket pocket and we just don't know about it i think that i think that the in all likelihood he probably did i don't think he wouldn't i, I don't think he would miss out on an opportunity to to protect himself to insulate himself i think that if anybody knows that they have uh you know um any culpability or, or, or legal exposure, uh, it's Donald Trump. So if he has an opportunity to hand himself a get out of jail free card, I think we'd be kidding ourselves if he didn't take it. With that being said, I mean, this is, you know, this is par for the course. I mean, Donald Trump's entire, entire presidency, much less his, you know, uh, uh, his life is just predicated on this idea that he's going to get away with it. Um, I think it's less about Donald Trump. Do you know why, uh, Brian? Do you know why? Do you know why? Why? Because he has. Yeah. He has. Yeah. And and you have to take that into consideration, you know, um, in regard to this whole issue about Trump having himself a pocket pardon and probably one for Jared and Ivanka too, right? Because he has gotten away with shit his entire life. People like me have always been around him. First it was Roy Cohn, then it was Michael Cohen, and then it's Michael Cohen talking to Brian Cohen unrelated. Right. Um, you, you understand my I, point? I think, I think the issue here is less about him trying because, of course, he's going to try. And like you said, he's always tried and he's been successful at it, too. I think it's more now a question of whether, you know, the forces for good in the government, these pro-democracy forces, the attorney general, 
the January 6th committee are actually going to do something uh, to to make sure that he doesn't get away with it. I think, you know, everyone's looking at Merrick Garland right now and what the DOJ is going to do. I think that's the bigger issue. It's not that we're wondering whether Trump is going to hand himself a pocket pardon because I think anybody with a pulse is going to assume that he did. I think it's just a matter of whether we're going to finally fight back and recognize the importance of, you know, making sure that, that there is some accountability in government if we don't want this to happen again. I think that's the bigger issue right now. Not whether Donald Trump is going to be corrupt because he's proven to us time and time and time and time and time again. It's whether we are finally going to stand up and say this is unacceptable and we're going to throw the entire